Michael Osterlink here with Justin Godard. He is the director of NeuroFit Australia. How you doing, Justin? Michael, good. How are you? Oh, fantastic. Thank you. That's good. Yeah. So uh, tell us a little about yourself. What led you to become the director of NeuroFit? And then we'll jump into actually what NeuroFit does do. Sure. Uh, look, thanks. NeuroFit really for us is a, uh, the midway point of a long journey that, that uh, my wife and I have um, been on to help recover our daughter from autism and you know, it started for us really three years ago when our daughter was diagnosed and when you from an early age if there was something wrong with her and she had a range of inefficiencies and wasn't coping with the world and when she got the diagnosis we like most parents were told most parents of autistic child we were told that really it's a a psychological kind of condition that affects the brain and there are a range of therapies you can do like speech therapy or OT but they haven't really been shown to help and you know it's really sort of a futile hope for you know your family and so that actually led us to um, you know we wanted to do more than just manage her conditions we wanted to, tr to try and recover her from autism and so we spent a lot of time and effort researching alternative programs that were available to us that might help us achieve that. And unfortunately, there was none of that, you know, none of those options were really available in Australia, so that led us to the United States. And, you know, we did a whole range of different programs. It all helped to varying degrees, but ultimately we came across a place in uh, LA called Neurofit, which is uh, a program that was developed by Jim Costello and he developed a program called Functional Neuromotor Activation Technique, which uh, we can talk about in a sec, but essentially it recalibrates the way the brain and the body communicate with each other. And so my family shipped over to Los Angeles for nearly six months mm. to complete the program. And you know, the child that we brought back to Australia was just so different to the child we took to the United States. Like we were she was completely different. And the results we saw for her were amazing. The results on our family dynamic were amazing. And you know, my wife and I just felt that it had such, made such an, a profound difference on our daughter's life on, and on our family life that we, we wanted to bring it out to uh, Australia so that Australian families could, could benefit from such a great program. Before you get into the program itself, can you kind of walk us yeah. through what her life was like and your all's life was like as a as a family prior to your time, you know, sure. getting to LA? Yeah. So, um, really, you know, autism really is how the brain responds in the face of toxicity. So, my daughter, my daughter was born with a certain level of toxicity, and you know. The, the environmental load increased upon her. So, um, you know, for her, you know, she had all of the sort of typical autism traits. Uh, she had, um, you know, difficulty concentrating. She had difficulty socialising. She couldn't speak before we left um, for the States. And she was nearly seven years old at that stage. She was sort of speaking in three sentences, sorry, three word sentences. Uh, she tantrumed often because uh, she had um, you know, couldn't understand the world around her. She was in a lot of pain. 
you know, autistic children have, um, you know, it's a triad of toxicity, uh, uh, GI or gut bowel issues, inflammation issues, and you know, all of that really just loaded upon her. So as a family, you know, we couldn't do things like we couldn't actually have, we couldn't have people over to our house. We couldn't go out on weekends. We couldn't go, we couldn't give her birthday parties because it was just all too much for her to handle. When you, when you say too much for her to handle, you mean like the stimulation of other people around her? So the stimulation of other people and also the environment. So for her, being in our living room was like being in an airport terminal or a shopping centre. Mm. And so, you know, autistic people say, you know, they, whatever we see and hear, most of them are seeing and hearing a lot more. So... You know, for example, the you know fluorescent lights in shopping centres they flicker it up to forty times a second, and we can't see that, but a lot of autistic children can. Mm. And they've got, uh, you know, a lot of them have got uh, sensory processing issues, which means whatever we're hearing, they're hearing it at you know decibels significantly louder than us. So, um, if you think about it, the other thing is that they can't differentiate between sort of ambient noise and and noise close to them. So if we're sitting down having a conversation and might be able to hear the air conditioner in the background and cars going down the street and maybe someone whispering in the background. For an autistic child, a lot of them, they just hear all of that at the one sort mm. of sound level and it's all at once and they can't sort of dampen the, okay. the sensory component. So they've got this head invasion want of a better description um, plus also they're continually unfeeling well so also feeling unwell so Chloe like many autistic children had um, you know yeast overgrowth hmm. in her belly and so what that feels like is um, our uh, doctor described to me is like having ants crawling over your body 24 hours a day and there's nothing you can do about it so she would scratch and itch her skin and actually you know, sometimes physically try to dig into her skin to get that, to try and solve that itching sensation. So she was, you know, at battle, her body, literally her body was at battle with herself. And, you know, that had a, that had a, a big impact on our family because, you know, you, you can't rationalise with a child like that because she's got, you know, no interest in it. She's got no interest in communicating really with, other people. I mean, she was she was quite social. She wanted to, um, you know, where she could, she would um, hug us. But because she had such high sensory issues, you know, she wouldn't hold our hand. She actually didn't really like being cuddled because the sensation on her skin was too overwhelming for her. And so she was, um, you know, she was uh, really struggling really struggling with life and it had a big impact, as I said, on our, on our family life. She couldn't go to school. We took her to school for um, initially for, we call it prep, which is the first year of school here in Australia. And uh, after two days, the school rang up and said, look, it's not working out. You're going to have to come and pick her up. So you know, that was very hard, you know, particularly on my wife, mm-hmm. having to deal with that and, and um, having my daughter home all the time. And she had, we had a... a she had a younger brother, two years younger than her. So all of a sudden, the load from my wife picked up, and you know, and she unfortunately was just really was a house band. And we tried to get help, and we had some great volunteers who came and helped us hmm. 
um, sort of with some respite with Chloe, but it was just, it was very hard for the family. Now, was this your first encounter when your, do- when your daughter was diagnosed with autism with autism itself? Look, pretty well, yeah. Look, I'd had some uh, not close friends who'd had children with autism, uh, but so, not to, but that was that was basically it. So I had no really close encounters. I had no real understanding for the condition and what it was and what the impact was on the child or the family. Got it. So you went to the states, but before you went, before you did the NeuroFit program in LA, you you tried a whole bunch of different systems and programs and, and practices and yeah. stuff. Yeah, that's right. So there's, I mean, the way, and this is sort of in the benefit of hindsight, that um, to some extent that. Uh, I look at it is so with autism the the recovery path for autism is that first thing you've got to do is you've got to heal the um, heal the brain and the body mm. and so we did that through uh, sort of in Australia we call it biomedical intervention and I think in, in the states you have integrated medical doctors in fact mm. we had a great um, uh, biomed doctor from Florida who we took Chloe out to see mm. who's uh, a specialist in the um, dealing with autistic children. She had an autistic daughter of her own, a uh, doctor by the name of Julie Buckley. And so her, together with our Australian doctor, really helped Chloe um, to heal her um, heal her brain. When you when you say heal the brain, do you mean like uh, there, there's inflammation that they're able to reduce through certain drugs yeah. or nutrition or like what was the process yeah so we it's um for us it was important to be drug free okay first point uh second point and that is exactly right so the brain is highly inflamed um the brain is exposed with uh, exposed to toxicity and you know it's hard to tell because you know you can't take a living sample of brain tissue um but you know what we do know through science is that there's, for particularly kids who are autistic are genetically susceptible to it, for starters, um, but there's a lot of environmental toxins that make their way through the blood-brain barrier that ordinarily wouldn't or shouldn't, but when mm. they bind together, they do. So like, um, like you know, aluminium, so aluminium is a good one. Aluminium is, it's a neurotoxin and uh, it's pervasive. And so for a little child, when a child is on formula, there's a study done in America of 40 different um, infant baby formulas. And they had, I think, between 300 and 800, and I might be getting the, um, the units wrong, but I think it was like micrograms of aluminium per serving, whereas about 30 micrograms um, per serving is the what the FDA says the sort of the safe limit of mm. aluminium. So kids are getting invaded with aluminium from the get go, and then glyphosate, which is the um, you know, Roundup Ready uh, chemical, is also pervasive. So um, you know the glyphosate, which is and I think they've tested there's I think one in six women who say that they um, have just used organic material, still have glyphosate in the breast milk. 
And so the glyphosate, mm. when that actually binds with the mercury, because one's positively charged, one's negatively charged, actually passes through your blood-brain barrier, so it gets to the brain. Wow. Uh, and then there's, you know, then there's you know, a whole range of other things, you know, mercury, et cetera, which can get in through, into the brain as well. And, you know, my daughter was, you know, we had a blood test initially when she was two, and she had high levels of arsenic, um, mercury, mm. copper. And, you know, we live in a country-ish town by American standards and there's no coal-fired gas um, power plants near our house. Um, but it's just overall toxic load and it's toxic load that, um, that you know, is initially... So when, for example, you know, what is relevant is when... It's relevant for all of us is when my wife's mum was a um, uh, started to go through puberty and she developed her eggs, mm -hmm. which ultimately became my wife. So whatever mm -hmm. toxins she was exposed to at that time um, impacted my wife and stayed with my wife. So then when my wife was born, she was born with a toxic load. And you know, as it happens, my wife's not a good methylator and the methylate, you know, methylation pathway is your ability to detox. And so whatever toxic load she then absorbed through her life was then passed on to, in effect, passed on to my daughter. So we've got this, you know, this generation now of people who are being exposed to, you know, large amounts of environmental toxins through their parents plus through, you know, what they're getting in society. And it's like, you know, the kids... Autistic kids, in some respects, I think, are like the um, the the um, canaries in the coal mine. Right, right, right. You know, right, right. they're saying that our world is getting too toxic. So let me ask you this: So you, your Australian MD, worked with a biomedical doc in Florida um, yeah. to help you detox a lot of this yep. uh, the heavy metals. Now, that, I would imagine that that's not a standard treatment, conventionally speaking. For autism, was your doctor kind of an integrative uh, doctor that he recognized that, he, that there were all alternative treatments such as detoxification? Exactly right, and he's um, you know very much a pioneer of that in Australia, and so it actually took us quite a while to find him, and then he had a long waiting list, so mm. it took us a while to get in there uh, and start seeing him. But that's exactly right, and so it's, it's detoxification, but then it's also about enriching and nourishing the body so that the body can do what it's supposed to do, which is to develop a strong immunity system and to fend off you know, other pathogens. So, you know, autistic kids generally are significantly low in a whole range of very important um, you know, nutrients. Uh, and so it's about fortifying those, fortifying the body with, um, with those nutrients. And even... Sorry, and, and even more, you know, the food we eat is, you know, through the industrialization of the, the food process. So, is we're not getting anywhere near the same nutrient value out of foods now than we mm -hmm. were even two generations ago. So, I think in um, spinach today, it's got five times less vitamin C than spinach in 1965. Right. So, you've got this two-pronged attack, if you like, from a this over, overall environmental toxic load plus right, right. less nutrition in the food and 
And that's what we try to heal. That's by healing. It's you know it's fortifying the body with the nutrients it needs to, to do its job. You mentioned the gut, gut health too. The, the, the nutrition piece deal with the gut health to make sure you have the you know, a healthy microbiome. Is that what your doctor is working towards? So yeah, and that's through you know primarily initially it's through um, through uh, we attacked that on a few fronts. So there was. Uh, one, there was controlling the diet. So um, she's on a gluten-free, casein-free diet because mm. uh, she had leaky gut wall, which mm. meant you know, she was developing um, lots of intolerance, insensitivities, and you know, potentially uh, allergies as well. Mm. And so what happens is, is you get um, the, the gut wall becomes permeable, so the food that you eat actually starts to leak into the body, and then the histamine reaction is it identifies the um, food as a pathogen because it's not supposed to be in the body and that's how you develop the allergic reaction that's a pretty crude explanation and so the leaky gut wall the more food molecules that are getting through so theoretically unless you do something about the leaky gut the more food you eat then the higher the incidence of intolerances etc so to heal a gut wall um, you know we put in a gluten-free casein-free diet uh, because they were they're highly um, permeable, those, um, the gluten casing molecules. Uh, and she basically just needs very crude paleo, really, which is she just mm. she eats very little fruit and she's just on, because sugars can pass through the, the gut wall because mm. size of the molecules, she's just on basically meat and vegetables, nuts and seeds and, you know, good fats. Uh, and then also it's, so she had an overabundance of, bad gut bacteria and very little good gut bacteria, which is called dysbiosis. And so she was on a um, you know, daily regimen of uh, probiotic. And, you know, I had read, you know, that it's a, that the, the biomed approach to healing the, the, the brain and the body is a three-year <laughs> protocol. And it's taken us three years. We had our last blood test uh, results we got two or three weeks ago. Oh, wow. And she's, and she's, a, we basically got the thumbs up. So she's, her body is substantially um, healed and improved and, and she still will need to be supplemented maybe for the rest of her life with a whole range of, look, our daughter takes 60 tablets a day. Wow. That. Wow. It's a lot. <laughs> what are some of the, do you remember some of the biomarkers that were tested for originally and then that you showed improvement a couple weeks ago? Yeah. So the big one, you know, big one for me was, uh, was, um, cortisol. So it's stress hormone. Mm -hmm. So when she was tested and this was actually the last number I remember was just before we, we left to do the NeuroFit program. Um, her cortisol levels were 800 and something, and 300 and something is about is about the level of a stressful adult male. So you can understand. So that's you know, that gives you some insight as to what she was like to be around mm -hmm. at that stage. Mm -hmm. And she's now, I think she was 202. Wow! So huge, was, huge improvement. Huge improvement. Yeah, nice. That's huge good. Improvement. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you, you mentioned NeuroFit. Um, this is a good segue to that to that program. Yeah. So, through biomedical intervention, you you got uh, gut health improved, 
um, inflammation reduction reduced. Um, and then Neurofit. Tell us a little about Neurofit, what the program is like, and why you decided to become a director of it in Australia. Sure. So Neurofit, um, basically the the. Are you able to edit? Just keep. That's fine. That's that's fine. Take care of your daughter. <laughs> okay. Yep. Sure. Yep. Hi. No worries. No worries at all. Okay, so Neurofit. Um, so we we actually tried a few. Now we tried um, a, a number of different um, uh, protocols in in the states, and actually one of the, we had you know one of the other things as one of the other pillars to helping to recover a child um, is resetting the communication system because uh, you know, they haven't learned to communicate because their bodies were under such stress and their brain is under mm. such stress at an important time in their development mm -hmm. that they just didn't pick up the communication cues that neurotypical kids did. So we were doing some work in LA with uh, a great guy by the name of Aaron Gallant who was helping us communicate better with our daughter and was helping her to... Um, to communicate with the world. Nice. And whilst we were there, we had uh, a dinner with um, some guys who'd actually done a documentary on, or the documented their son's uh, recovery. And um, for them, they said this game changer was a thing called Neurofit. So we asked about it and um, we were talking at length to them about it. And then the next day, I rang Neurofit up. Um, Jim Costello and went and had a chat to him and we brought our daughter out because she was, fortunately she was in LA at the time and uh, she said, he said she'd be a great candidate for the program, he told us about the program so that's when we became invested in it and so the, you know, the premise of the, it's a, so it's a movement based protocol and the essence of what it does is it recalibrates how the brain and the body communicate with each other. Hmm. So, kids on the spectrum have really inefficient neuromotor pathways running through the subcortical structures of the brain. So that's the, the, the subcortex of the brain, which is evolutionarily it's the older part of the brain. This is also the part of the brain that's responsible for all the things we don't think about. So, hmm. you know, heartbeat regulation, breathing, movement, balance, coordination and even you know, new task acquisition. So the, basically the, um, the, 
the premise of the of the program is this is um, all human beings are born with a central nervous system that's intact, but it's also immature. And for human beings, the way they move from one level of neural organisation to the next is through movement. So when a baby's when a baby's born, like literally born, all they're using is is really their brain stem. They're not using any other part of their their brain, and the way the brain develops is through movement. And the movement pattern is sort of decreed by evolution. So instinctively, a child knows that when they go from their um, from their tummy to their back, they rotate their hips, torque their spine, rotate their shoulders, and then move their head over. But often, an autistic child won't know that. So my daughter, who who I know, when she rolled, she just used momentum to roll. Mm. So by doing that, she missed out on a whole lot of neural pathway development. And then what happens is when you get on to, when you change the, the plane, so you get onto all fours and get standing up, anything that you, any stage that you missed or that was compromised at a lower stage results in significant compromise of standing up hmm. or tiny bit of standing up. And so the Neurofit approach, which is the, the protocol is called functional neuromotor activation technique goes back and it revisits the developmental sequence and it does that it's uh, essentially it's um, 24 sessions and each session starts uh, on the mats doing work on the front on the back crawling standing um, and on different planes of motion and you know what we've found you know, from doing that is by re revisiting that the neurodevelopmental sequence uh, is that the neuromotor pathways in the subcortex start to become more efficient. Mm. So when they become more efficient, then the sensory input from the body through to the cortex of the brain, the messaging in there becomes more efficient, which means you get a more efficient output as well. And so what we see through the program is as the neuromotor pathways become more efficient, then a lot of the symptoms that we classically see with autism, but also with ADHD, with sensory processing disorders and other uh, sensory and cognitive disorders, they start to improve, they start to radically improve. So things like, obvious things like balance and coordination, but we see improvement in speech, we see improvement in handwriting, we see hmm. improvement in communications. And the kids, once they start to get some efficiency in that neuromotor pathway running through the subcortex, they start to develop in a more natural and organic way. So, for example, with my daughter, so my daughter, we could, we could never teach my daughter anything because she didn't want to learn. And an example of that is, you know, we, she couldn't, Really, she couldn't write, she couldn't draw, and we spent a lot of money on occupational therapy hmm. um, in the early years. And the OT would put the pencil in her hand and would get her to start to draw or write something. And unbeknown to us at the time, because 
um, she hadn't developed efficiently is she had uh, retained primitive reflex called a grafting reflex, which mm. is um, it's a natural defence mechanism for babies, which if something is placed in the hand, is you squeeze it and you let it go. Mm. And when a baby when a baby's neurology develops efficiently, after a period of time, that becomes integrated because it's no longer needed. Because mm-hmm. it was just originally a defense me- or a survival mechanism for a child. But she'd retained it, and she'd retained a whole lot of other similar um, primitive reflexes because her neurology didn't develop efficiently. But after about three weeks of doing the program, that reflex started to become integrated, mm-hmm. which meant she just, of her own accord, one day she just picked up a crayon because her, her brother was colouring in and she started colouring in. Wow. And then after a little bit of time, because she she had learned to read from a young age, she started drawing letters and started to write her own name. And then they just developed this thirst for knowledge. Hmm. And so whilst we're in LA um, undertaking the program for, I think, the last half of the program, we had to get a tutor in to start teaching her. So she was, at this stage, she was seven. She'd never been to school, never wanted to learn. And because we integrated that reflex, because her neurology started to become more efficient, because her anxiety level started to come down, she understood the world around her, her cortisol levels were down, her body was getting um, was more integrated. She wanted to learn and she got on a natural, a more natural sort of learning path. So that by the time we got back to Australia in January, uh, January 2014, she we got her a homeschool teacher. Nice. And she did one year of school in a year. So she's on, now she's nine, so she's behind her age cohort, but she's on a really nice sort of developmental path now. That's fantastic. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, look, it's, we've, she's just, uh, an amazing little girl. She's an amazing little girl, and she's doing really well and really happy. And um, before we, when we were, when it was coming up to the time where we were ending our, um, our new fit experience, uh, I sat down with a founder and said, "Look, this is a wonderful program. Uh, it was, it's been great for our daughter, great for our family, and I really want to bring this out to Australia. How do how do we make this happen?" So. It took us took us the better part of a year to work all that out mm. and to find some premises and to find staff and to get staff trained. But we opened up our first facility in Brisbane in January this year. Nice. And we, oh, I think the local news channel did a news story. We were expecting about... 40 people for our opening day, and we had something like 300 and something. Wow. Turn up. Nice, nice. Which was good, uh, other than for the fact that it says that there's a real problem in the community. No, in, in, terms of, in terms of need? In terms of need? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know, what that meant for our business, or for our, um, uh, for our Neurofit uh, facility out here, is that um, we knew that we weren't going to run at a loss because we had. We had the numbers to um, sustain the mm-hmm. um, to sustain the place. Uh, since then, um, so we've treated so far, I would say about sixty-five children. Wow. 
and every one of them has every one of them has made progress. Every child who's completed the program has made progress. We've had uh, great, you know, testimonials back from parents. We've had you know parents crying because uh, you know the child has said their first word after a session. Mm. Uh, we've had um, you know it's for us it's such a rewarding thing to do because you know every day we get to surround ourselves with parents who are trying to recover their children mm. and, um, and we're seeing great stories like our own. That's awesome. Um, can we walk through what it's like in your program? Like I heard you say there's 24 sessions. Yep. Okay. Is that like one a week, one a day? Like how does that actually play out logistically? Sure. So it's, we do two one-hour sessions a week. Okay. On non-sequential days because it's really tiring on the kids. Mm-hmm. It's really tiring, and it's like it's 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 like in many respects it's it's kind of like going to the gym in as much as you know if you want to improve an aspect of human performance you have to put what you want to train under load, mm-hmm. and that's what we do with the, with the kids is we put them under a neurological load, and that way they come back next week and they're incrementally a bit better and then mm. put them under load again. So they need their, just like any good interval training program is, they need their, they need their recovery time. Right. So it's uh, 12 weeks, basically. Sorry, yes. I'm trying to figure out my math. <laughs> 12 weeks, yeah, 12 two, weeks. Yeah. Yeah, two times a week. Um, and are there uh, expectations? Like if a family comes in to see you, can, can you say, if you do our 12-week program, you can expect... X, Y, or Z, or is it so unique to the individual uh, patient, or in this case, child, who's coming to see you? Yeah, look, it's, uh, it's very, it's very individual because it's so, it is so complex. Yeah, yeah. And a, and a lot, of, a lot of it does depend on, you know, one thing I could say is, you know, my observation is you can tell when parent walks in the room whether they're going to see really strong progress or not because a lot of this is just my opinion is mm-hmm. a lot of the progress a child makes in recovery comes down to the attitude of the parents okay and if the parents just one of those positive optimistic loving um, never take no for an answer kind mm-hmm. of parent is the child makes great progress now all children make progress, but you know, that's just an, an, ob, you know, an, an observation I've made. Is the children that make the most, most progress have that kind of parent because something about that attitude mm. rubs off on the child. Um, and then the other aspect is because there's um, it involves the brain and it involves epigenetics, which which to the extent that there's you know, different levels of toxicity which, um, or environmental influences which might up or down regulate certain gene expression, and it's all different per child, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. The, um, the outcome, the specifics of the outcome is different per child and the magnitude is, but what is consistent is that, so there's a range of inefficiencies that um, we all associate with autism, with ADHD, essentially, and disorder and 
they will all improve. So focus and concentration improves, processing um, delays improves. Generally, we see, excuse me, behavioural improve, anxiety improves, the motor skills, motor planning improves, um, sensory processing, speech, they all improve. I would imagine it's uh, hierarchical and exponential. Like once you get um, some degree of improvement in some aspect of, of neurological functioning, um, you, you trigger other benefits down the road and it kind of expands that way? So that is exactly right. Hmm. That's exactly right. And that's why, uh, you know, on the one hand, you look at it, so it's a movement-based protocol. So you would say, understandably, there's improvement in, um, you know, gross and fine motor skills, hmm. and, you know, balance and coordination, but it is the downstream yeah, right. effects is, is where you see all of that magnified. What happens on week 13? Are there exercises that the parents continue to do with their kids to, you know, continue to lock in the changes and to continue improvement? Yep. So, yeah, we do have a uh, have a, a, a transition planning session then with the parents. Okay. And it really depends upon the child. So for a child who's made um, great progress and perhaps is towards the top on using our evaluation um, tools, we might suggest to them that they put them in a program of, um, say, jiu-jitsu. Wow. Jiu-jitsu is actually a great, um, uh, you know, it's a great program for kids because there's a lot of mat work. So when you're, when you're working on mats, it's you develop your proprioception system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So proprioception is understanding where you are in space and you get that feedback through the skin. Now, invariably, the kids that present to us all have um, you know, levels of dysfunction in their proprioception and vestibular system, so vestibular is a balance okay. system. Um, and it's, during the program, they all start to get, it all starts to get integrated because the, the information that comes in through the body ultimately to get to the cortex actually has to link in through the vestibular and, and proprioception loops. So if they're dysfunctional, then that just sort of heightens the inefficiency or the dysfunction of the messaging going into mm. the cortex and then coming back out. Uh, so jiu-jitsu is a good one. The other one, the other reason with jiu-jitsu is because you're spending time on the mats and you're rolling, is you're, you know, you're engaging that internal gyro and you're, you're harnessing the, sorry, you're um, improving that internal gyro, which is really important for um, neurological efficiency and maintaining that. Um, and or we might suggest a swimming program. So again, mm. swimming is really good because the um, you know the water on the skin enhances proprioceptive feedback. Uh, we are working on a uh, like a maintenance program okay. that we can do, which we might uh, look at doing sort of down at a park once a week for kids to come down to cool. the park. Mm. You know that is actually, and it's not a um, you know when autistic children, you know, they go to parks and they might, a lot of them, you know, I think, again, the old stereotype of the autistic child is someone who um, is not socially engaged, but a lot of, because autism is how the body is responding to toxicity, there's still some kids who innately love other people and want to be around other people, but they don't know how to interact. And so when you take the child down to park and my daughter would go down and she'd see a girl and they would sort of 
you know, with young kids, they'd look at each other and sort of figure each other out by looking at each other and form a bond. And then the girl would run off to go and play on some play equipment, but my daughter couldn't do that. So mm. she lost the opportunity to make friends that way. Um, you know, by doing the program, you know, the kids become really good at the playground equipment. Nice. So nice. when you take them down to the playground, they don't lose that opportunity to form friendships because they can't go on the monkey bars or, you know, jump on the, um, you know, board or something along those lines. Wow. So there's that transition plan. And, and for some children who are, who are more severe, um, you know, the parents may elect to stay on for another program. That's, you know, that's what we did. And that's what, you know, we continue to do that with our daughter. Our daughter's still doing the program and still doing really well from it. Excellent. Well, Justin, um, fantastic news for you that you discovered this program and even preceding the program that you found such a good doctor in Australia working with the biomedical doctor in the U.S. to kind of get the gut health and the inflammation down and then got the NeuroFit program going. And, and uh, good for the folks in Australia who now have you as a service to, to offer to families and to their children. Where can people find out more about the program itself? So... Firstly, on uh, our website, Neurofit, N-E-U-R-O-F-I-T.com. Okay. And that's a link to the Australian, but also to the US-based um, Neurofit program as well, which is based at West Los Angeles. And also on uh, Facebook, uh, we keep a page on Facebook. And if you follow us on Facebook, you'll get uh, updates from you know, all our parents. We've got a really good, engaged community of parents who help each other. and. Nice. and and I imagine not only is it something like NeuroFit and then getting the inflammation and gut health and all that stuff together is really important, but you mentioned the, you mentioned parents, and I imagine the good communication between family members and, and mothers and fathers or whatever, fathers and fathers, mothers and mothers, I mean, depending on the formation of the family, that the whole systems approach is also really important too. Can you just speak briefly about that to keep the family sane? going through this process. Yeah, sure. It's, I mean, you're exactly right. Everyone has to be rowing in the same direction. Mm. There's no point, you know, if, if one parent is going down one path and another's going down another, it's, it's you know, that'll tear the dynamic, family dynamic apart. So it's, it's critical that not only the, the inner circle, which is the parents and the siblings are on board with the recovery program, but then the extended parents as well, because you know, if you're if you've got a fairly strict diet for your child to try and help bring their uh, their gut under control, and they go over and stay away at grandma and grandpa's mm. for the weekend and get lollies and <laughs> candy, and you know, then that just that can set you back months. Mm. So it's it's important. It's really important. The, the way that um, you know I like to approach it is you now autism is one of those things where you know, unlike if you break an arm, you can go to a doctor and a doctor will say, okay. This is what we're going to do, and in six weeks' time, that arm will be fixed. And the, the plan is laid out, and it's all done for you. Unfortunately, for a whole range of reasons, autism's not like that. And if a parent wants to recover their child, and it's a long process, and there's no one silver bullet solution, is the parent really needs to be the CEO of their child's recovery. Hmm. And they've got to approach it really like a business. They've got to surround themselves with professionals that know more than them, that they know enough about that specific 
area of expertise that they can push and guide and question. Mm -hmm. And they need to make sure that everyone is buying into the strategic um, intent that you want in terms of your child's recovery and everyone's on board and then you've got to just drive it relentlessly. Excellent. Sounds like great advice. Um, we want you one more time for your website. Uh, www.neuro-fit.com. Great. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Mike.